All right, if you've got a Bible, grab it, and uh, you can go ahead and make your way actually to the book of Genesis. Uh, we'll get there in just a minute, but it feels like I haven't seen you guys in forever, though it was only one week, uh, but it's great to be back with you, back gathered with the family of God, and if you are a guest today, man, today is a great day to be here. I want to say thank you for being here. Welcome to this gathering of Providence, uh, and the, the reason today's kind of a, a good day to be here is because we're kicking off a brand new series through four books of the Old Testament, First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings. Originally, when they were written, uh, the First and Second Samuel was one book on one scroll, and First and Second Kings was one book on one scroll. So it was the book of Samuel, and it was the book of Kings. And they span about a 500-year period of Israel, um, king, kingdom of Israel's history. And so that's what we'll be getting into in a few minutes. But I, I, I pray that this series, as we get into it, and you pray through it, and you've got your prayer card, your sermon card, this new series, I pray, would be used of the Lord to grow and strengthen your faith and your trust in God and in His promises and in His faithfulness, that He will not leave you, that He will not forsake you, that He will not abandon you, He won't cast you away, He won't run out on you, He will not stop providing and being there. He is there, He is for you. He is faithful. It's just who he is. He keeps his promises. He can't not keep his promises. Friends, Christ is faithful to his people. And look right at me. Even in the mess, even in the heartbreak of your life, even in the gutter of your life, the mess of your life, both the mess that you bring yourself into, as we do that, and the mess that just happens to us, that we live in a broken world, bad things happen to us. He's faithful to you and will not abandon you in any of that. Whether you brought it on yourself or someone brought it on you, He will not abandon you. He will be with you. He is faithful. Jesus meets us in the midst of our mess. And so if you're in mess, it's a good place to be today. Because Christ is here to meet with you. And He's here to love you. He's here to comfort you. And He's here to give you hope. And that's just one of the warm blankets that come out of these Four Old Testament books, but what a warm blanket it is. God remains faithful even when we're faithless. Even in the midst of mess. Because in these four books, we're going to see a lot of mess. We're going to see men abusing women. We're going to see wives betrayed by husbands. We're going to see children going slap crazy. We're going to see dysfunctional families like you've never heard of. Like, I promise you, like, I've seen dysfunctional. You haven't seen this level of dysfunction. This makes the Springer Show look like Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. <laughs> we'll see corrupt religious leaders. We'll see conspiracy to murder. We'll see deceitful politicians. We'll see power struggles. We'll see the horrors 
of war. I mean, in a lot of ways, these books are a mirror to today. Because while technology changes, the human heart and the human condition doesn't. They then were sinners. We now are sinners. And so the things that they faced then, we face now. And so this is, these books are real books about real people, and it pulls no punches. All right, which helps us to see both the horrors of this world and the hope of this world. And so it's just filled with practical and theological applications for today. But one of the things we can't do is we cannot, as we get into these, we cannot whitewash and try to Sunday school lesson teach these. And so we can't take these books and we can't take the stories in these and try to turn them into morality tales and character studies. Oh, be like David, a man after God's own heart. Now, can we learn things from David's life and other people's lives? Yes, absolutely, and and we will. But if we're going to do a character study out of these books, then the primary character that these books are shouting at us to study is God. God is the character whose own central display in these books. He is the mover. He is the shaker. He's the one who raises up folks like Samuel and Saul and David. And he is the one who brings down Eli and Saul and ultimately the entire kingdom of Israel. He does this according to his plan and his purposes. And so in order to understand uh, these books, and really the Bible in general, just as you read the Bible in general and you try to understand it, you, you, you have to learn to read the Bible in two ways, all right? Two ways you need to learn to read the Bible. You need to learn to read it front to back, all right? Start here and go this way. And then you need to learn to run it from back to front. And so write those two down because I want you to uh, remember that. We need to learn to read the Bible front to back, And we have to learn to read the Bible back to front. And so when I say front to back, that's pretty obvious. All right, Genesis to Revelation. Just seeing how God, the supreme reality, who is eternal, is, is, you know, has no beginning, has no end. He's uncreated, just has always been, chose to create a universe and chose to direct it the way it is, ultimately creating down to a specific solar system with a specific planet and a specific creation made in his image, people, and how he deals and interacts with his creation. So we see that as we from Genesis to Revelation, When we read it that way, we learn of his nature, we learn of his character, and we discover, particularly as we get into these books of Samuel and Kings, all the major stories and images and themes in Israel's history. We learn the major roles that each major person plays in Israel's history, and we see how the stories of Israel find their ultimate fulfillment in Christ. We see how Jesus is the culmination and the point, like the point of the entire Bible. And that the Bible is not a collection of 66 independent books with individual messages, but it's a collection of 66 interdependent books with one overarching central message. A message that begins with creation and then the fall of man into sin and then God's plan of redemption and this coming restoration. 
And so front to back, that's good. We need to learn to read the Bible that way and just understand the kind of linear timeline of the Bible, right? What's called redemption history. We need to understand that. This is good. This is how you need to read the Bible. But you also have to learn to read the Bible back to front. Because once we understand Jesus of the New Testament, when you then go back to the Old Testament with Jesus in mind, you discover that he was always there on every single page. He's there at creation. Everything was made by him and through him and for him. Okay, at the Exodus, he's not only there, but he actually is the Exodus. He is the true and better Exodus from slavery to freedom that the that Exodus portrayed looked forward to. All right, he is the Passover lamb who died so that we don't have to. He is the true and better deliverance that the waters of the Red Sea point forward to. He is the promised rest of Israel. He is the prophet, the priest, the king that was long awaited. He is the temple. He is the sacrifice. Jesus is the all in all, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and the books of 1 and 2 Samuel and 1 and 2 Kings show all of this. They're books that are filled with history about various prophets, priests, and kings in the monarchy of Israel, its rise and in its fall. But more than that, they are a prophetic witness to the prophet, priest, and king who has a kingdom that never ends. And so this morning, as we just start introducing these books, I'm going to concentrate really on kind of the front-to-back portion of this as just an introduction. I'll sprinkle in some of the back-to-front here and there. But as we go through it, we'll be doing both of those a lot. We'll read through it in a chronological, linear way, but we will constantly be showing how Christ is on every single page. And every single page at that time was pointing forward to him. And so this morning, just kind of timeline of redemption history. Where, where is this? Where does this fit within the story of the Bible? Where does this fit within the overarching story that God was doing? And how does this fit with characters like Hannah and Samuel and Saul and David and Solomon and then a whole slew of kings that are really hard to pronounce? Jeconiah and Jonakiah and all these we'll get into months down the road. And so just by the nature of doing an introduction, today's going to be a little bit different. Uh, we've got a lot just kind of background work to, to get our arms around. But it's my prayer that even as we do that, a lot of just kind of tilling the soil for what's coming in the weeks ahead, that it would be helpful to us in making sense of kind of the totality of the Bible. Like what the Bible's all about, repeated themes that you see, and it would also be encouraging to us that God has kept his promises, is keeping his promises, and will keep his promises. That he's sovereign, he's faithful, and he's kind, even in our mess. Even in situations that are far more than we can bear. The whole line, you know, God will never give you more than, than you can handle is a lie. He will, and he does it to make you lean on him. And he's with you. In a situation where you have no clue what to do or how you're going to get through it, he's still sovereign. And he's still kind. And he's still faithful to you. 
He's still there. And these books show us so much of that. But this morning, we're just going to kind of get, get our arms around it so we are prepared for the weeks to come. Just kind of, where are we at? What's going on? So let's go to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Preparing for this series. And here's what we find in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. It's reiterated in chapter 15 and in chapter 17. This is known as the covenant with Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abram, he later becomes Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so in a nutshell, this passage, this short little passage here, is a promise from God to fix the world. A promise to make right all that went wrong when sin entered into the world and messed everything up. Because when God created everything, it was good. It was very good. It was perfect. Sin came in. It fractured that. It broke that. In came death. In came disease. In came natural disasters. In came greed. Just sin. Everything. All of that. And so this is basically a promise to bring Eden back. Bring paradise back. And so it's a promise of that great big story I mentioned earlier. Creation, fall, redemption, and a coming restoration. And so it is a promise that God is going to once again, and I need you to listen closely here and you can write these words down. Get God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. That's what this promise is about. And so I want you to write that down. We're going to keep hitting that because this is what the kingdom of God is all about. I want you to see how the Bible ties all of this together. And we were going to look at it through this lens. God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. God's people. I want you to write it down. God's people in God's place. Under God's rule and blessing. And so when you survey Genesis 1 and 2, so when we back up and we go to the left just a little bit, to the very beginning, you you see this pattern of God's kingdom established. And so when you go to Genesis 1 and 2, think about it. You've got God's people, Adam and Eve, in God's place, the Garden of Eden, under God's rule and blessing. So you've got this pattern of the kingdom established right there. God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. And then they rebel against God. They fracture that. Again, that's known as the fall. And then we come to Genesis 12 and this covenant with Abraham that's basically a promise to restore all that was fractured in the fall of mankind. And so it's a promise to return God's people to God's place under God's rule and blessing. I'll read it again and listen to the words. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred, and your father's house to the land, God's place, that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, God's people, and I will bless you. 
and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And that comes true with Christ, the descendant of Abraham. So you've got God's place, you've got God's people, you've got God's rule and blessing. And so again, Genesis 1 and 2, you get this pattern of the kingdom. God's people, God's place, God under God's rule and blessing. Here, Genesis 12, we've got the promise of the kingdom. So you've got pattern, now you've got promise of the kingdom of God's people and God's place under God's rule and blessing. And then when we get to First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings, we're getting, we're getting the foreshadowing of the kingdom. All right, now, stay with me. I know it's like, where are we going? I'm going to pull some strings together and, and try to tie this together. So stay with me. But first, I've got to make sure that we understand that the kingdom of, of Israel, when David was, you know, like, when he was a king, so the kingdom of Israel under David... And we're going to be talking so much about in the weeks to come, where we, where we have the people of Israel consolidated, right, into a kingdom. So you've got God's people in the promised land, God's place, under God's rule and blessing, right? That is not the ultimate fulfillment of the promise. It's not it. It is an initial fulfillment, and it is a foreshadowing of what's to come. It's not the fulfillment. It's a foreshadowing of what's to come. And see, with the, with the promises of God, a lot of times they work as kind of like a sideways funnel. So maybe like once every couple of months, I pull my whiteboard out, and that's what we're doing today. Because today's kind of almost like a Sunday school, giant Sunday school lesson. So when you've got the way, the way prophecies and the way uh, pr- promises of God often work is like a sideways funnel. And so you have initial fulfillments at times. So here's the promise made, you know, God's people in God's place in God's kingdom, Genesis chapter 12. And then you see an initial fulfillment here. This is a small crown. If you can't tell what that is, that is what it is. All right. And so this is like King David. So it's an initial fulfillment. Yeah, it's part of it, but it is not the point of the promise that is the king. All right. It's like an initial fulfillment, but it's not the totality of what it predicts. The totality is still to come. So I'll turn that around and push it over there for right now. So the totality of it is still to come. So it reaches an initial fulfillment, but that's not the end fulfillment. It's still pointing to something further down the line. So a couple of examples. Deuteronomy chapter 18. You've got a promise that there's going to come another prophet like Moses. Joshua shows up. Well, yeah, he's kind of like that, but it's pointing forward beyond that. So Joshua's the initial fulfillment. The great fulfillment is Christ. And then here in the books that we're going to be in, you have this promise of a king to reign over God's people. Initially fulfilled in David, but ultimately fulfilled in Christ. And so through the pages of Scripture and the years of history, you have partial fulfillments, you have patterns established, but they are shadows of the full fulfillment. They're not the substance. And so that's why Colossians 2 verse 17 says, speaking of Old Testament law, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And so all of this is kind of like great classical music or the architecture, like the building of 
a skyscraper. The initial theme, the original shape is there from the very, very beginning. But by the end, it has been so developed that the finished product is so much more than the initial pattern seemed to indicate. So it is with the promises of God. And so in Eden, right, trying to let's pull some strings now. In Eden, you had the kingdom pattern established. God's people, Adam and Eve, in God's place, the uh, Garden of Eden, under God's rule and blessing. Then with Abraham, you've got the kingdom promised that God will return his people to his place under his rule and blessing. David and Solomon, right now you've got the kingdom foreshadowed, God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. Jesus arrives and says the kingdom of God is at hand because he is God's people. He is God's place. He is God's rule and blessing. And then when Christ returns, we will have the kingdom consummated in the finality of God's people. All believers of all time in God's place, not just a little sliver in the Middle East, but the new heavens and the new earth under God's rule and blessing. Because we are with Him. He is the rule. He is the blessing. The great thing about heaven is that we get God. That's the ultimate fulfillment. Christ's return, new heavens, new earth, God's people, all believers of all time, Abraham to the last person who repents and believes before Jesus returns, God's people, God's place, under God's rule and blessing forever. So that's the big picture. That's the big picture where all this kind of fits into. But what we're going to be talking about in the next several months is this, the portion that's the kingdom foreshadowed. And so let me just kind of set that up for you now. So 1 Samuel is set around 1000 BC. Again, by the time we get to the end of 2 Kings, we'll be into 6th century BC, so almost 500 years uh, of time that it goes through. And so 1 Samuel begins right after the time of Judges. So in the Hebrew Bible, like in our English Bible, is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. In the Hebrew Bible, Ruth is not in that place. Ruth is grouped with... Uh, it actually comes right, this has nothing to do with anything, but just going to teach for a minute. Ruth comes right after Proverbs. And the reason is because in Proverbs 31, there's a phrase used there about the Proverbs 31 lady, a very particular in Hebrew, that exact same phrase is used in Ruth chapter 3 of Ruth. Ruth is the Proverbs 31 lady. They're tied together. But the English Bible, following the Greek Septuagint, I told you I was just rambling on, it tries to put it in a chronological order, which isn't really chronological, but never mind. Back to this. <laughs> 1000 BC. It's, so it comes right after Judges. And so in the Hebrew Bible, it goes Judges straight into Samuel because they, they go together. So the Judges is a dark time in uh, the, you know, the, the scattered descendants of Abraham. And it's repeatedly stated in the book of Judges that there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And so even there, it is setting the stage for a kingship to be established by the last judge, and the last judge is Samuel. And so long story short, 1 Samuel is really all about the rise and fall of Saul. 2 Samuel is really all about the rise and fall of King David. 
And he's often portrayed there as an ideal king, but not the ideal king. That the biblical writers want, that they're longing for, that even in the book of Judges, it's longing for, we need a king, we need a good king to come and, 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 and bring God's blessing. And so David's kind of portrayed, but he is not that one. Israel's still waiting for the future. They're still waiting for the coming Messiah. First Kings then transitions from David into King Solomon, who starts off amazing. And then his lust for sex and money and all the pleasures that the world has to offer under the sun. If you remember when we went through Ecclesiastes, pulls him away from God. He begins to worship false gods who are no gods. And as a result, after his death, the kingdom split in two. And so the northern kingdom then is very confusingly called Israel. And the southern kingdom is called Judah. In the northern kingdom, Israel has their capital in Shechem. Later it becomes Samaria. The southern kingdom, Judah, has its capital in Jerusalem. There are occasionally good kings in both of those kingdoms, but ultimately their path is just down, 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 down. And the northern kingdom comes to an end in 722 B.C. when the Assyrians run over it. And they haul a lot of folks off. And they pull Assyrians in. And the Assyrians and the Jews... Um, marry and they adopt some, some adopt some Assyrian gods and they, they morph and they throw out a lot of the Old Testament and only hold to portions of it and so after that date the ten northern tribes never have a separate existence again and their descendants are the Samaritans part Assyrian part Jewish and all of this is part of the reason they're so despised by the Jews at the time of Christ southern kingdom continues on a little bit longer until it comes to an end in 586 BC when Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians overrun it, destroy the temple, destroy the town, and pull off a whole host of folks and take them to Babylon in exile. That's where you get folks like Daniel, Meshach, uh, and I go with the, with the uh, Rakshak and Benny, but uh, Meshach, <laughs> Rakshak and Abednego. Some of y'all have no clue what I'm talking about, and that's probably good. And so that's what First and Second Kings are all about. So it sounds really chipper, right? We're going to watch these kingdoms crumble. And yet, it's not all bleak and sad. Because God's there. In their mess. And in their dysfunction. That's what I love about the Bible. The Bible's real. Like some of the situations you're going to, we're going to read about, you're going to be like, what? This sounds like the Springer Show. But God's there. In the midst of it. So the stuff in this world doesn't surprise God. And the stuff of your life doesn't surprise God. And so lean into him in the mess. He will meet you there. And so it's not all bleak and it's not all sad. God keeps his promise. He preserves a remnant. And though it was the end of the Israelite monarchy, it was not the end of the story that God was writing. And that he's been writing since before the foundations of the earth. Because again, God's work among the Israelites was never intended to be the final fulfillment of his gospel promise. It was just a model. All right, so let's talk about models for a minute. Um, how many of you like did and put together a model when you were a kid? So a few people, yeah, I didn't either, so I can't raise my hand. Uh, but my brother was into that. I don't know, maybe I didn't have the patience for it, but he, he was into it, and he was into models of World War II aircraft. 
which makes sense since he's an Air Force pilot now. But he was always into that. And he did a whole, like, there were several of them that he put together. Uh, but the one that I can remember the most, because I would go steal it sometimes to play with it when he wasn't watching, was a model of a P-40 um, and, and the Flying Tiger. So it had like this sharp looking thing at the front, you know, uh, of the plane. Um, so you can Google Flying Tiger. It's a pretty fascinating story. But he had this, this P-40, and it was pretty crazy how well, like, he put it together. I mean, the detail that was on it, all the stickers were in the right place. There wasn't clumsy glue everywhere. He did a pretty amazing job. But as pr- impressive as it was, it still wasn't the real thing. Its whole point was to picture something bigger, to picture something better, the real P-40. And in a similar way, the kingdom under David and Solomon was just a shadow of the perfect kingdom that God will establish through Christ. It points beyond itself to him. And so, like so much of the Old Testament, when we read it back to front, again, you got front to back, back to front, it points beyond itself. And so again, yeah, it was great for the Israelites to be rescued from slavery to the Egyptians. But that rescues a pale shadow of the perfect redemption achieved by Christ. Yeah, it was wonderful for the Israelites to have God's presence in the midst in their tabernacle and in their temple. But those structures were just a shadow of the one in whom the presence of God was perfectly manifest. John 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling literally tabernacled among us. And yeah, David and Solomon were great kings, but Jesus is far greater. And so God may have rejected this model that we're going to see, but he's not rejected his promise he's not forgotten his promise god's not going to rebuild this model but he will establish the real thing through christ and so that is what jesus is doing now he's gathering together a people for himself from every tribe in every tongue in every language saving people from their sin because of his work his life his death his resurrection He's ruling and he's blessing us already. But when he comes again, we'll have the finality of all of that. Genesis 12, finally fulfilled with the kingdom consummated. And all, like for all time, God's people, all believers, will be in God's place, new heavens, new earth. Under God's rule and blessing, we'll be with him. But friends, I don't want you to just sit here and be like, well, we just twiddle our thumbs till he comes again and there's nothing he plays in our life. He's not, no, no, he's with you right now. Like as we await the day for, that Christ comes, he's still ruling on high now. He's still faithful now. He meets us in our mess right now. I mean, one of the prophets that's in the period of, of 2 Kings when it's just imploding, There's a prophet named Jeremiah. And Jeremiah writes this in chapter 32 of the book named after him. Speaking of of God, or, or quoting God. They shall be my people, and I will be their God. And I will not turn away from doing good to them. I will, listen to this, I will rejoice in doing good to them with all my heart and with all my soul. And so, dear friends, God is faithful, and He's doing good to you even in the midst of your mess. When you have no clue, I have no clue why, God, this doesn't make sense, I don't like it, He's 
hasn't stopped being kind. He hasn't stopped being good. He hasn't stopped being faithful. It doesn't mean everything's going to go hunky-dory in this broken world. Cancer's still going to come. Death is still going to come. Tragedy is still going to come. Heartbreak is still going to come. But it does mean, listen and think, that the God who made the universe with 10 octillion stars and 100 billion galaxies, the one who made everything and controls everything down to the molecular level, Protons, neutrons, electrons. This God, Jeremiah 32, rejoices to do you good with all his heart and with all his soul. And so as one author puts it, the covenant promise that God will be your God is spectacular beyond imagination because it means that God engages all his omnipotence and all his omniscience all the time to do good to you with all his heart and with all his soul in all the circumstances of your life, whatever they may be. And so it's very much Romans 8.31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who's to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. He's our priest who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it's written for your sake? We're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that, like that is the truth that these four Old Testament books hammer home. Nothing can separate us from the love of God and his faithfulness towards his people. And I look forward to unpacking that with you together in the weeks to come. Let's pray. Father, the Bible's filled with calls to remember. Over and over and over. Remember. 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 And so Father I pray today. That you would help us to do that. And you would help us to remember. To remember who you are.
to remember your nature and your character and your holiness and your faithfulness. And that you're not suddenly going to just stop being who you are. You don't change. You are the same today and yesterday and tomorrow. And so flood our hearts with reminders of your graciousness, with reminders of your goodness, with reminders of your steadfastness, with reminders of what Christ has done for us. And that though we are sinners, deserving of wrath, you are gracious and you are patient and you are merciful. And so, Father, would we be humbled at the foot of your cross? And would we live humble lives of thankfulness and gratitude and obedience to your word, holding forth the light of the gospel and the hope that is here amidst the horrors of this world, the mess that we both cause and that we are affected by. Help us to remember and rejoice. We are more than conquerors in Christ who loves us. We ask it in Christ's name.